I have never heard of anyone who, uh, when they are sick uh, and they want to go to see a doctor, uh, like the first qualification they look for that doctor is like uh, whether that doctor is a Christian, whether they, they share the same uh, the same faith. You can be unequally yoked with a believer because if we're not lining up and we're not seeing things the same, we're unequally yoked. That's the problem that Paul had with John Mark. We're friends of mine that might not share the same belief when they are questioning the church, wondering, they're not questioning me in the pews, you know, or, or, or the leaders. They're not questioning the entire church. Welcome to another episode of Unpack. In today's topic, we will attempt to unpack the dilemma on how we should view our associations with people we agree with ideologically and those we may not agree with. For lack of a better word, we are using associations loosely to mean different types of interactions and collaborations. As an example, in business or formal employment, we work with folks who may not share much in common outside the work environment. With neighbors, friends, and family, not all of them will share our belief system. In all these associations, especially those not acrimonious, we find ourselves being influenced negatively on some issues because of our shared affection for each other. And that is precisely why we are having this conversation. As you know, this topic is very broad and can touch different aspects of life, but we will try to unpack three main issues or three main themes, music, personal and business relationships, and church and politics dynamics. <clears throat> In future, we could touch on other areas or drill down further on the three issues we will discuss today. Before I pass the floor to my co-hosts, let me, let me share a few verses from the scriptures that speak to associations. One famous one is 2 Corinthians 6 verses 14 which is widely used and sometimes in the wrong way. <clears throat> it says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness. Then there's another one, First <clears throat> Corinthians 15 verse 33, which says, do not be deceived, bad company ruins good morals. That is direct and not controversial at all. And I would posit that most of us, including non-believers, have used these words to warn our kids, especially in high school, right? Uh, but that's for another day. But then there is also Psalms 26 verse 4 that says, I do not sit with deceitful men, nor will I go with pretenders. That's a warning that you know David was giving us. Then another interesting one, which it will be difficult to discuss because it will kind of weaves in what we're going to be talking about. Uh, it's, this, uh, it's on um, Mark 9, verses 38 to 41. And it's a very interesting verse, actually. It says, Teacher, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. So the operative sentence there of few was is not one of us, even though he was uh, driving out demons. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. 
For whoever is not against us is for us. Truly, I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. So uh, to unpack this, let's, I mean, the first question before we even start the discussion about the three main themes is, what does the Bible mean in 2 Corinthians when Paul says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers? What, or what does it not mean? Karen, do you want to start us off? You know, this, this uh, scripture has been one that has created controversy among the body of Christ for quite some time. And it's because it's taken in its literal sense uh, in the construct in which we read it. Um, if, as I always say, that the best commentary of the scripture is the Bible itself. Mm-hmm, and if mm-hmm. we read this scripture by itself, we'll get the wrong interpretation. But if we would read this scripture in context of everything else that Paul is saying, we will get a thorough understanding of what is meant by it. And so to answer um, the question, if we go to I'm reading out of the um, New Living Translation Bible, mm-hmm. and, and I'm going to be reading from verse number 11 down mm-hmm. to verse 14. It says, oh, dear Corinthian friends, is how it reads. We have spoken honestly with you and our hearts are open to you. There is no lack of love on our part, but you have withheld your love from us. I'm asking you to respond as if you were my own children. Open your hearts to us. And then he says, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a part, partner with wickedness? How can light uh, live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? Mm-hmm. Now, if we look at the object uh, lesson here, Paul is addressing the Corinthians here because Paul is giving something to them that they're not giving back to him, okay? So there's a hindrance there for which they are not returning or reciprocating the love and affection that Paul has given to them. So Paul equates that to them having the wrong type of associations. He considers, he, he equates it to them being in partnership with unbelievers. Not that it's wrong for us to um, have fellowship with them, but when that fellowship begins to impede our love and our affection for one another, then we need to examine that relationship. So we can have a partnership as long as it does not impede on our relationship with Christ. That's what I'm saying. That's what Paul was saying. Paul was saying, there's there's a reason why you're not giving me back the affection that I'm showing you is because of your partnership with those of those who um, um, unbelievers. So what was happening there is that the unbelievers were having more influence in the life of the believer than should that than they should have. And it was impeding their affection and their love and their ability to be able to reciprocate that love back to Paul. And that's why he said what he said. I mean, what kind of partnerships are we talking about here uh, in a practical sense? Are we talking formal partnerships or friendships, right? Formal partnerships, meaning this could be, you know, 
someone you are working with, I mean, in those days, whatever, tent builders or what have you, while, mm-hmm. and, and those relationships typically would be, there's always kind of space between you you and the other person, right? But then Absolutely. when you have much more of a personal relationship, I guess that can have a little bit more influence Absolutely. than, you know, than a, than a formal relationship. Absolutely. And then everything, again, must be measured through the spirit, through the Holy Spirit. Because just because I, for example, I can have a relationship with an unbeliever and that unbelief, that that relationship is a neutral relationship. It's not it's not a relationship that's directing me away from God or encouraging me uh, not to serve God with my whole heart. It's just a relationship I have with an unbeliever. And then I can have a relationship with an unbeliever. And every time I'm around that individual, they're talking in such a way to try to pull me away from my love and my confidence and faith in Christ. So that's a whole different kind of unbelieving relationship. And I think we have to measure everything through the spirit and see what God is speaking to us concerning that relationship. Because, you know, if we just base it on the letter of the law, we're going to miss the spirit of the law. And I think, you know, everything should uh, faith work it by love and everything that we do in Christ should be motivated by the Holy Spirit, checked by the Holy Spirit, and um, and also uh, obviously orchestrated by the Holy Spirit. How do you see it, Ken? Um, I think uh, Kevin broke it down uh, very well. And I think uh, as he said and he underscored, context matters a lot. And uh, the associations we are talking about here you know, some of them are covenant relationship. Like, for example, uh, a situation, or a say, of marriage. Uh, so if you are a Christian, um, to have that bond or bonds of marriage uh, with somebody who is not a Christian, uh, somebody who you don't share, you know, the same grounds or common grounds, mm-hmm. uh, that, becomes, that becomes a problem. So again, we go back to the context because, for example, I have never heard of anyone, I don't know about you or Kevin, I have never heard of anyone who, uh, when they are sick uh, and they want to go to see a doctor, uh, like the first qualification they look for that doctor is like uh, whether that doctor is a Christian, whether they, they share the same, uh, the same faith. I have never That's heard of <laughs> Yeah, I have never heard of anyone when they want to go, uh, they, are leaking, they are seeking legal advice. Like the first line of whatever they look for is, uh, you know, is this person, uh, you know, a Christian. Uh, so context matters a lot. And it doesn't mean that if you go to see a doctor who is not a Christian, uh, you're not going to share pertinent information that regards them or if you're seeking help from them. The same thing if you go to seek a who? Uh, to seek a lawyer. Uh, and you're going to have a type of relationship with that type of lawyer. Context matters a lot. And you cannot use this portion of scripture here that says, do not be unequally yoked as an end all overall of every relationship that you're going to have. So you have to understand the type of relationship he's talking about here. Of course, you might go see a doctor and the doctor may give you an advice that is contrary to what you believe in. For example, if you're a woman, they might prescribe for you or they might advise you to take 
type of uh, uh, contradict what you know of the scripture. The same thing that you might go to a lawyer who might advise you on something that is not incompatible uh, with your Christian faith or with your Christian belief. That's where now it comes in to finding that lawyer or that doctor uh, who is of your same persuasion, of your same faith. Huh? So again, we go back to what Kevin was talking, talking about at the beginning and underscored, context is everything. Huh? So what type of an association are we talking about here? So we have to be very intentional and very deliberate uh, when we come to talking about these type of relationships, you know? Absolutely. What about the the last scripture that I, that I read? And, and the question I have for that is because of... Um, if we are in a situation where we've talked before about false prophets, right? Mm-hmm. And here the, the verse was saying uh, from John, uh, teacher said, John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. Mm-hmm. Then Jesus said, for no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. Now, false prophets, for example, mm-hmm. we've seen some, you know, come up with signs and wonders and things of that nature. We would we would naturally want to be careful. But now, a verse here is telling us that if we see someone driving out demons in our name, we should not stop him because he is one of us. How how should we deal with it? Because Sometimes Christians find themselves getting sucked into the wrong, uh, into the wrong. I don't want to call it ministry, or associations with certain types of pastors, because uh, when they see the signs and and what have you coming out of them, they they want to believe this guy must be of God. And so, how do you deal with that? Because you have a verse here saying very clearly, when someone is driving out demons in his name, do not stop them because he's one of us. Context here, context here, context here again, Moses, uh, matters a lot. Uh, because in the same, same vein that you have heard of, um, you know, Jesus, the Jesus' disciples talking about uh, somebody casting out demons in Jesus' name. Mm-hmm. And those demons obeying that and Jesus putting a qualifier there. If they, um, if the demons, you know, are being subjected to the authority of Christ, and they obey. That's a yardstick. This uh, this one is for us. But there is also another context you find the sons of uh, the high priest, forgetting his name, is Eskiva. Eskiva. Mm-hmm. Yes. They were also casting out demons in the name of the, the, the Christ who is taught by Paul. And uh, the demons, you know, like they did not obey. Not only did they fail to obey, uh, but they attack them, you know, in a very deadly manner. And you can now be able to tell the difference, you know, like these are the ones who, the, the, the demons where they, there is obedience, you know, like when they are cast out and they 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 move out, mm-hmm. there is a recognition that there is a relationship. Whoever is casting them out has a personal relationship uh, with Jesus Christ. But it comes, let's boil down to what you're talking about. How are you going to able to be able to, recognize the false prophet. Sometimes, you know, like some of these things, they appear hard, and I think, I don't think they should be hard. You are you practice in the financial field, and I'm sure you have encountered 
uh, some of the some of the basic trainings in forensics. For example, they always train on the real deal. So if I want to tell you how to get to know like a fake iPhone or a fake this or a fake that, I don't expose you to the fake substance or the fake the fake stuff. If I am going to train you on how to counteract or get to notice the fake dollars or the fake money, I'm not going to expose you to the fake money because you are likely to get confused if I keep on showing you this is how a good iPhone, the proper iPhone looks like. This is how the proper dollar looks like. Uh, my understanding is they are always trained on the real deal. I'm going to train you on how a real dollar looks like. Don't worry about the fake one. I'm going to show you. I'm going to train you on how a, a, a real uh, $20 bill looks like. Uh, the moment you encounter uh, the fake one, it will be without a question. You don't even need to consult anyone. You know that this one is a, is a fake one. Yeah. The same thing with our Christian faith. Mm-hmm. When we keep on talking about um, the fake prophet, like, you know, go, this is how you're going to hunt for this fake prophet. If I'm going to talk about a miracle, let me talk about how an authentic miracle looks like. This is, this is an authentic miracle. If Jesus Christ is going to perform a miracle in your life, this is how Christ performs a real miracle. But if I'm going to be talking about just miracle, saying a healing miracle, uh, whatever miracle, type of a miracle, and I get, I keep on looking, I'm like, okay, Jesus can make a cripple walk. Uh, Jesus can make the lame walk. Uh, Jesus can make the mute and the deaf uh, he, uh, hear and the bright see. Now I'm confused into knowing these are the fellows who I who who, who do the the works of darkness. You know, if you compare that with what was happening with Moses, Pharaoh would summon his um, his oracles. They would bring the plagues, the snakes, and whatever. But Moses would show up, and his you know his snake would eat all the other force. Huh? So it doesn't matter what these other fake workers are going to do, or they're go- because they're always going to be with us, and they're always going to be there. You know, they are always they are always going to be there. They are going to be those Simons who want to buy the miracle working from Paul and all that. We will never be able to eliminate. Uh, the false prophets until uh, Jesus himself comes and establishes his kingdom over here. So in the in-between time, what we should be focusing on more is teaching the right stuff. If God grants us an opportunity, Moses is here, and we are going to be talking about, you know, these cults, these uh, all cults or whoever, let's talk about how the real faith how the real doctrine, Christian doctrine, ought to look like, you know, because there are are millions and millions of these counterfeits, and they always always deviate a little bit. You know, they don't do it, they don't do it in in a manner that you're going to establish right off the bat that this is counterfeit or this is fake. So you have to know your staff, and you have to know your staff very, very well. I mean... That's awesome. I guess that that is why I always say, um, read your Bible mm-hmm. and be careful who you listen to, because I think that is that is key. Mm-hmm. You, you know, to make sure one you get you get the correct teaching, mm-hmm. but also you read the Bible for yourself. Because I think I think what what's happening and the reason why a lot of people are getting caught up mm-hmm. in the wrong associations or even the wrong churches mm-hmm. is because they, I, I'm I'm not sure that they 
read their own Bible. They don't. You know, and meditate upon that word and, and get to understand what what the message in the Bible is. Mm-hmm. So that when someone or their own person says something slightly off, mm-hmm. you, they can be able to pick it up, you know, pick or pick, pick on it. Anyway, so let's kind of move to more practical issues so that we can see how best we can deal with this. Music. Music is is a powerful, a powerful tool, right? So how how should Christians approach secular music or, or collaboration, music collaborations and, and performance? You know, so in, in church, uh, music, uh, we consider it a ministry. So should Christians... Uh, or Christian artists collaborate with secular or popular musicians. Let me preface uh, this question by saying, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with secular musicians, by the way. Of course, there there are those, the heavy metal types who we know have very demonic uh, type of music and things of that nature. Should Christian artists, Christian music, we consider it a ministry. Should they collaborate with secular musicians? I, I've been pondering that all night. <laughs> That's a very good question. I've, I've, done a, I, I've thought about that. I woke up about 4 o'clock this morning thinking about that. Uh, that very thing. You know, music, first of all, God is the author of music. Mm-hmm. Not the devil. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When and how do we know that is because when God created Lucifer, he was a walking orchestra. Mm-hmm. Mm. The Bible says of him that every time he moved, it was like pipes. It was a, a a sound that came from him, and so music was an invention of God. Now there is some, there is some music, even though it is secular, it is morally neutral. Okay, Mm -hmm. it it is not taking us down a rabbit hole and making us think bad things and ungodly things. It's like for much, for example, jazz music. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. I listen Mm -hmm. to jazz sometime. Okay, Mm -hmm. it doesn't take me one way or the other. Mm -hmm. It just makes me feel good. (laughs) It's a it's a it's a good feeling in in the type of that I listen to. You know what I mean? Raise your spirits. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. There are some songs, secular songs Mm -hmm. that. Even though they're morally neutral, mm-hmm. they're, you know, uh, let me say it this way. Anything that is to the building up of God's principles, whether a person is religious or no, mm-hmm. or kingdom or not, mm-hmm. it's still God. Very much so. God is, is the author of, of 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 righteousness he's the he's the author of love he's the one you know if somebody's singing a love song to the right person let's yes. say you know their spouse or whatever and they're singing that song that's mm-hmm. not evil that's not inherently evil because mm-hmm. god created love between two people and when that person's expressing in a song mm-hmm. when i listen to that song what does it do it causes me to want to love my wife more yes you following mm-hmm. me even though there's a secular person singing it yes so what, what and 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 that's not something you know that we just do all the time of course yeah but moses to your question should we as believers be partnered up with unbelievers um, trying to, um, I guess, sing the songs of Zion. 
You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to what Ken uh, talked about earlier when he was talking about um, when when the disciples asked Jesus, you know, Jesus, uh, they're not with us, you know, but they're casting out demons in your name. Mm-hmm. And we could use the principle from that, that if people are, bring, if their songs are to bring glory to God, whether they're believers or no, I'm not saying God is against that. And I'm not saying he's for that. But what I am saying, if I base it on the principle that I just got out of what Ken said, it still brings glory to him. And the person's life might not but the song does. You following me? And so it's 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 much like many times you have people who can speak a righteous word, but their life is raggedy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they're speaking a righteous word. Mm-hmm. And God will still move on that righteous word, but they themselves, you know, Paul says it like this. He says, you know, lest when I preach to others, I myself become a castaway. Mm-hmm. You following me? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah. I must keep my my body pure. I must keep my heart pure, my mind and my thoughts right with God, because that's the only way I'm going to benefit from that as mm-hmm. a believer. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. but it doesn't it doesn't change the message, what God wants to do with the message. His word is his word. And so okay. I I I I grappled with that all night. And yeah. you know, on a personal level. I would prefer it to be the way that it that I perceive it to, or I want it to be. I would pers- I, I I on a personal level, I want people singing to me that's living right. Mm-hmm. Yes, you following me, and yeah. and and not out there, you know, in the streets, in the clubs, and whatever, doing what they do, and then they come on Sunday morning and they want to sing Jesus is Lord. I prefer it not to be that way, but I'm not the one yeah. that makes that decision. Um, but so, I, so this is how I'm thinking about it, right? Okay. I, I I get collaboration. Yes. I totally get what you're saying. Uh, the world of God remains regardless of who, who is purveying it, in this case, from a musical point of view. Now, but from a church pulpit point of view, you, see the, you can collaborate. I mean, there are a lot of artists that have collaborated with secular artists and put out very good, uh, you know, albums and what have you. And some of them are great. I mean, there's no question about it. Uh, but then, how, do we bring them in the church at the pulpit? So let me set the scene. Worship. People who lead worship in a church, they are really instrumental in, in, in leading the rest of the congregation to worship, right? Now, can someone just come out of the street, top 100 pop music, whatever he there? We know their life is not all that great. It, you know, we shall know them by their fruits. Their fruits are questionable to the nth degree. And then we give them a mic Sunday morning to lead worship. I mean, should that happen? You know, because Kevin is Kevin raised a very good he raised a very good point here, uh, Moses. Yeah. And uh, not trying to be situational. Yeah. Uh, not trying to say as long as it you know, to praise God, it's okay. I may have a very different take myself. I come from those churches, a background where the altar, altar is uh, treated as sacred ground. 
it is not a place for any type of, it is not for common use, mm-hmm. uh, to put it that way. And it is a place where blessings are pronounced and uh, those who are in bondage are released the bondage, I mean, at the, at the altar, when you approach the altar. So mm-hmm. it is not a place where just anyone can walk into and do anything that they want to do in that place. So if you're talking about uh, somebody who sings secular music, it is it can be very inspirational. It can be very morally neutral. And, um, you know, it can rift my spirits up or anyone else's spirits up. Uh, but if that person is not consecrated and the music is not segregated exclusively unto God, then the idea of you walking into the altar and being handed a microphone to belt out uh, your angelic music or whatever, you know, that is a non-starter. It will not happen. And I think um, in that type of a situation, I might be, I might be more inclined. I listen to secular music all the time, you know, but because of uh, the reference I have for the altar and, uh, you know, the entire church, you know, building, quote unquote, it being a place of no common use, it is consecrated for a certain type of purpose. I'll be very uncomfortable uh, getting to whoever you are. You may be Kenneth Rogers, you might be Luther Vandross or whoever you might be. I might be, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be very uncomfortable myself having you at the altar, you reading the music over there. I wouldn't mind you having that type of a situation outside, you know, in a, in a, in a, any other arena. But if you're talking about a, mo- a morning or evening worship service or afternoon worship service, uh, that to me seems to be like a lead, but that's a very personal uh, situation. So I may be, I may be, it may be okay for someone else. You know, there are some things that are not deal breakers. You know, if I see other people doing that, you know, it is just like the way you'd say, hey, as long as it doesn't offend, uh, it doesn't make a brother feel. You know, like what Paul was telling people, if you do this thing and you're going to cause your brother to stumble, you better stay away from that. Mm-hmm. If somebody were to ask me, I would, I would say, uh, probably I wouldn't go. I, I wouldn't want to go there. You know, there there still has to be unless somebody has made a decision to follow Christ and do the music. That's a different thing. But if they are still in the world, there there got to be a line here now. That's what I'm saying. But that's that's very personal. If, if I can interject real quick, mm-hmm. uh, Moses, I am a hundred percent in agreement with what Ken just said. Mm-hmm. Uh, I too was raised that way. You don't come up to the altar with anything and anybody in any kind of attitude and any kind of spirit. You know, I, we grew up, uh, again, believing that the altar was a sacred uh, ground, the mm-hmm. holy ground. Mm-hmm. It was where God met his people. And yes. God met the man of or the woman of God that was a man of God back then. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my answer to the question, again, in context. Yes. The way you ask the question in in the proper context in which you ask it, my answer is vehemently no. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. believe that we should take people, um, uh, unbelievers and who's been living um, 
a riotous life or unclean life and put them in the pulpit and let them sing again alongside someone who's been consecrating themselves all week and um, mm-hmm. and is faithful to God's word. And, and we can back that up with scripture um, because the scripture tells us that um, they that worship the Lord must worship him in spirit and in truth. Mm-hmm. You following mm-hmm. me? So we yeah. can yeah. we, we yeah. can back that up all day and and every day, um, because you, true worship cannot come from the flesh. Um, it has to be from the spirit. And so if a person's not in the spirit, it's not true worship, and God doesn't honor that. So no, I think I think that's that, I think that's great because I was I was going to ask another question, but I I think I think you shut it down pretty good. <laughs> because what I was going to say uh, was, if a celebrity was to come to my church, I can assure you, the church will be full that mm-hmm. Sunday. Mm-hmm. I mean, full to the brim. Mm-hmm. But. But then when you mention that, you know, uh, to sing in front of the church, to, to, to lead worship, you have to be consecrated. That then, of course, then that, that closes that door, regardless of the numbers of people that this celebrity coming on Sunday would, would bring, mm-hmm. you know, giving an opportunity uh, to advance the Great Commission, right? But, but I think your, your, your answer... Uh, I, th- I think it, it it stopped my line of thought. Uh, so let's let's move on to personal relationships, and most of this we've already alluded uh, when we were trying to unpack uh, this issue of being uh, yoked with non-believers. But of course, we work with a lot of people that we might not agree with ideologically. But from a practical sense, can we go into business with non-believers? And the reason I say that, business is, is a bit personal. Because I know we were talking a little bit earlier about the personal relationships and how important those are. Now, when you go into business with someone who you might not agree with ideologically, maybe it's a non-believer, you're a believer, what have you, there are a lot of uh, there are a lot of situations that may arise that might force you to compromise, and we know this happens a lot. You know, I mean, we are here in the DC region, and you know, there's a lot of government contracting going on. And whether you're in the US or whether you're in Kenya, I mean, government contracting at the end of the day. There are a lot of shenanigans that happen. Mm-hmm. You might be the cleanest person on the planet, mm-hmm. but if your business partner, you know, might is not, I mean, you don't know, maybe he sent something under the table. So that's how you're able to win that contract. I mean, a lot of shenanigans happen. We've seen so many people in, from politicians to business leaders in prison, right in DC, because they were bribing and what have you. So when you are getting into business with an unbeliever, or should we? Maybe that's the question. Should we? And I ask that because these are practical issues, but I do realize that we cannot have rules. We cannot, I mean, we will never have enough rules for, for yes and no, yes and no, to check mark 
our lives, right? But how do we think about it as, as a believer? What do you think, especially you, Kevin, because you're in business? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> again, one of those questions I had to think about. <laughs> Because these are this is some really good stuff, man. I tell you, it just makes you really think. But I think of uh, Deuteronomy uh, chapter twenty-two uh, mm-hmm. and verse ten. And the Israelites, they were not supposed to put the ox with the donkey. Mm-hmm. And so, and there was a purpose for that. It wasn't because they were both animals; they both could do work. You following me? They had their abilities and their limitations. But one of them was entirely different than the other one, okay? For mm-hmm. example, yeah. uh, they didn't have the same gait, okay? So when the bridle went in the mouth, it, wasn't that, it was unbalanced, okay? Uh, they didn't have the same disposition, all right? They didn't have the same strength, nor did they have the same instincts, okay? So in that context, the ox and the donkey were very incompatible. However, comma, they both could do work. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so true. I look at business in that context. There are people that I have met, unbelievers, in my opinion, that had more integrity. Ethical, yes. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. More mm-hmm. ability to do. Right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we were in concert in terms of our thinking about how to do business. Yes. You following me? Mm-hmm. I have found, and I'm just being perfectly honest. Mm-hmm. The, the, I've been in business with both mm-hmm. believers and non-believers. And I mm-hmm. must say, I've had more issue with non with believers than I yes. did non-believers. Right. Because believers always wants to bring a spiritual component into business yes. And when things are not going the way that they want them to go, they and that's when they want to get spiritual on you. Yes, yes, yes. Whereas a secular man or an unsaved person, they understand. In fact, I go back to Jesus, okay? Mm-hmm. Jesus picked 12 men. What was unique about those men? They were all businessmen. All of them, without exception. They were carnal as they come. Mm-hmm. But they were all businessmen. Mm-hmm. So I asked myself, why did Jesus pick 12 businessmen? And my answer to that is this. He chose them because he knew that they understood what it meant to be self-motivated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You following me? A person mm-hmm. who yeah. has a job is somewhat dependent. Whereas if you're in business for yourself, you have to be a self-starter. Nobody's mm-hmm. gonna come yeah. wake you up. Nobody, there's no clock you're gonna punch into. If whatever mm-hmm. you make that day is gonna be based upon what you do to a certain degree. You following me? And so mm-hmm. Jesus mm-hmm. chose men that had a work ethic that they knew when they got up in the middle of the night and went out fishing and they didn't catch anything, they had mm-hmm. to get back up the next night and do the same thing all over again without somebody telling them uh, mm-hmm. you need to do this, or even in their discouragement. They still mm-hmm. had to do it. So mm-hmm. I think if we can find people that have integrity and there are people, again, I've seen more integrists in, mm-hmm. this, in the world than believers. Mm-hmm. And you say, how could that be when you have mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit? It seems like the Holy Spirit would rise up in you and tell you you're lying. And, and that, spirit, what you, that spirit that you're walking in isn't right. But I've said that. And so 
my question, my answer, I should say, to that question is, yes, I think it's possible. But it's, again, it's discerning the person. If, if the values, I've seen people that have my same values that are non-believers. They're just not born again. But mm-hmm. they hold my values. You follow me? They hold my values in terms of family, loving the wife and treating her right. And they hold my values of working hard. They hold my values, you know what I mean, of treating people right. But they're just not born again. And mm-hmm. so I, I would say I would not take that off the table because they're non-believers. Because when we talk about unequally yoked, that also applies to believers. You can be unequally yoked with a believer just as much as mm. equally yoked with the unbeliever. Because mm-hmm. if we're not lining up and we're not seeing things the same, we're unequally yoked. That's the problem yeah. that Paul had with John Mark. They wasn't seeing eye to eye. Now he was a believer. He couldn't even take him on his missionary journey because they were there was conflict there. Mm-hmm. So I think we have to judge things again by the spirit. What is God saying about this partnership, this business relationship, you know, whatever, because, you know, um, that's, 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 that's my, in, 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 um, uh, my exit strategy is what is the Holy Spirit saying in this situation? I mean, that is, <laughs> that is interesting just because of the examples that you're giving, which, which is almost embarrassing from, from a Christian perspective that your Christians will have been more disappointing in business than non-believers, right? You would think, right, that 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 it would have been the opposite. But I, I've seen it also in my life in in, in different ways, even in, at work. Uh, you know, I have people that, that I think they are close to me than than believers, just because we seem to share the same values, even though uh, from a faith perspective, we are we are of different faiths. And and it, it's 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 important because you have churches that shun non-believers, right? We have a lot of groups that shun non-believers, and that's why I was asking this question, because because then that brings up that self-righteous kind of situation where where you have guys that will not, I mean, they will work together, but then after work they don't want anything to do with the people they work with because they don't share the same faith or what have you. And I would posit that being able to have relationships then makes it actually even easier to advance the Great Commission. Otherwise, our relationships are as important uh, because then they see your life, they see you being able to, they see your values and the fact that you, you, you know, you, you don't lose sight, you're, you're, you're consistent. And that speaks to people. That speaks to people. I remember listening Christian radio once, and this guy, and they had a call-in show, and this guy said that he he had a retirement party, and he was shocked uh, at what people are telling him. There's one person who told him that I have I have observed you over the last 15, 20 years, and they were amazed at 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 you know the way he ran his life because everybody knew he was a Christian and everything, but they saw something different in him. So the guy, just by being himself, literally planted a seed. 
and, and this one person always wondered what was different about this guy. He knew he was a Christian, but of course they knew other Christians, but they were not the same, but they, they knew there was something different with this guy. And, and so, yeah, I, I would agree with you. I think, I think we, need, we need to get the Spirit of God to, to kind of lead us into knowing who we can go into business with and who we can. I don't know if, Ken, you have anything to say on that. I mean, no. I mean, Kevin summarized everything very well. My only addition there would be like, it's always, it's always a good thing to know what type of business you're going to get into. And, uh, <laughs> and I think that's why he was talking about um, praying and uh, being led of the spirit. Because, you know, yeah. if it's a business, it might be very lucrative, but it yeah. might be setting, uh, you know, debauchery. Right. Exactly. I, I don't think... I don't think that that's the type of business that you want to uh, go into yeah. or engage. I think there's clarity. That's not the kind of business. About you. <laughs> yeah. But anyway. Yeah. Uh, so the last segment, which I think is interesting, because mm-hmm. I like this politics issue, is church and, and politics, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it comes as no surprise yeah, mm-hmm. to anybody who's living in the U.S., mm-hmm. to anybody who's living in, in Kenya right now, mm-hmm. how the church, uh, and, and not the church, I don't want to represent the entire church, but I'm saying we've seen churches and groups of, 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 of churches fully affiliating with politicians to a point where they, they, they are no longer able to be impartial. Mm-hmm. And I, I see situations that are completely antithetical to the scriptures and making, especially non-believers, question even the church as, as it stands. And when, 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 yeah, not to stop your train of thought. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at no one church, at no one time is a church or a churchman impartial. I think the word you're looking for right here, I might be wrong, but and I start yeah. to be connected. You're talking about someone being an honest broker. Yeah. An honest broker, because, you know, there are some positions, a church can never be impartial. It can only be honest, you know, because you're going to yeah. take a stand and the church, the stand you're going to take, yeah. uh, you are no longer going to be impartial. You're, going, you're just going to have a position. This is where we stand. Indeed. Uh, in that, yes. but now, the, and thanks for that. But now, mm-hmm. so in a in that situation, right, mm-hmm. where you're finding the church or representatives of the church, uh, for lack of a better word, in bed with politicians, yes, to a point where they cannot make their stand clear on issues mm-hmm. because they've either brokered certain agreements. You know, mm-hmm. we support mm-hmm. this party; we, we will get one, two, three, four. But this mm-hmm. party might have so many other things that the church should be able to make to have a stand on, but they are not, not able to do that. Should I mean, how should we look at that? Because it is a form of association. And in my view, it is definitely uh, affecting the Great Commission or what we need to do in terms of uh, evangelizing and, and preaching the gospel. Because if, if the church is in, quote-unquote, bed with the politicians to a point where they cannot make a stand important issues, I think that's a problem in itself. If you become a partisan, if you become a, a partisan political hack, uh, it doesn't matter whether you are you are Christian, whether you are a church bishop, or whoever you are, you just have lost your credibility. Uh, anything you say 
anything that comes out of your mouth is partisan. And now because you have discredited yourself, you have also discredited the gospel that you preach. Mm-hmm. It is sad, but it is the truth. Mm-hmm. Is there a recourse for that? Mm-hmm. Of course there is. You have to repent and renounce uh, the, the position you had taken uh, before. And then it's up to the people now being held by God to either forgive you or reject you. They can forgive you and tell you, okay, thank you. Uh, you have made amends, but moving forward, we don't want to hear from you again. Go make your peace. So anytime you become a partisan hack, anytime you take sides, you associate yourself with a certain uh, stand and you are no longer an honest broker. And that is the sad truth of what has happened to many uh, of our church leaders. Um, and uh, they have polarized the pew. And in essence, they have polarized the nations. So they are no longer, they can no longer be sought and light unto the world. And that is the sad truth. That is the sad reality. You know, we cannot sugarcoat. We cannot go sideways, backways, or whatever ways, trying to uh, camouflage or try to sweeten this thing. That's exactly what they have done. And many of them know that's what they have done. But, but then where do we go from here? Because, I mean, the impact is real. I've had a lot of discussions with friends who are like, what's wrong with the church? Especially when I talk to friends of mine who are not believers, who are not Christians like myself, who are not born again like myself. Uh, I mean, they are perturbed. They are wondering, how is it that the church is agreeing with either a a political personality or a political, a specific party? They understand the views, right? They understand certain Mm -hmm. positions that the the church is expected to take. But uh, especially in, in, in the last five, six years, and, and it's funny because we've, I've, we've seen this not only in the U.S., but also in, in other countries out there, where the church has been so in bed, in quotes, politicians and with political parties, when something that we would typically hear the church advocating, they're quiet. And I think there's a, there's a danger because the, the church, ha- it represents a lot in society. Beyond just uh, preaching and the spiritual nourishment, there's a lot that the church does in society that is really good, and and we cannot lose sight of that. I mean, what do you think, Kevin? Uh, I, 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 this is good right here. This is real good. I personally, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna um, uh, pronounce three names right now: yeah. mm-hmm. Justin Pearson, <laughs> Justin Jones, and Gloria Johnson. Uh-huh. <laughs> now, I don't know about, you know, what people think about these folks, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. that to me was kingdom in action. Mm-hmm. That's what we should be, the church. That's what we should be. When Justin Jones or Pearson got on that floor and he preached a message on the floor a righteous message, 
a kingdom message. So when we, God's people, get into politics, if that's where God is leading them to, they have to tell the truth. They they can't, they, they have to, there's a different standard that we must have than those of the world. And when there come to those issues of righteousness, those issues that, um, you know, make people's lives better, um, there has to be a voice in every area of life. If the truth is told, see, the reason why we don't see the church active and we see it silent and quiet, because over the period of course of our life, we have been religionized. We've been told all you do is pray. Just trust God. Just pray. God's going to work it out. Okay. But who is God going to work it out through? You following me? If we look at the scripture, the Bible says in, I, in the book of Isaiah that the government will be on the shoulder of Jesus. Okay. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. God did not come to establish a religion on the earth. He came to establish a government on the earth. You follow me? So as his kingdom, the Bible refers to us as his ecclesia, right? Mm -hmm. Ecclesia Mm -hmm. is not a religious word. It has nothing to do with religion. Ecclesia is God's government on earth. And so what is God's government, his ambassadors, what are we to do on the earth? The Bible says the heaven belongs to the Lord, but the Mm -hmm. earth belongs to whom? The children of men. When When Jesus created Adam, what did he give Adam? Dominion over the earth, not heaven, the earth. So what Jesus did, God did in the beginning, he wanted to establish a colony on the earth that reflected the kingdom of heaven. Mm -hmm. But when Adam fell, he lost that dominion. And Mm -hmm. so when Jesus comes, he brings and restores the dominion back to man so man can get back to doing what God originally intended him to do. So it should not be Democrat, Republican. You know what I mean? It should be kingdom crats that is making having the bigger voice it should be god's people having the bigger voice because why because jesus came to establish his kingdom on the earth and it can only be established through his people so that means that his people have to be engaged in every aspect of life every aspect of society because if not then how do we influence them how do we get the message of Christ to them? How, you know, somebody said it like this. And I, and, and, and the last flight I was on, I was in first class. They said, when you fly on the airplane, most people want to get coach because it's cheap, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so everybody's sitting in the back of the plane. He mm-hmm. says, but what about the people that need to hear the gospel in first class? Mm-hmm. He said, if we always trying to get the back of the plane because the ticket is cheap, there's a there's a message that the people up front are just not getting. Mm-hmm. And so it's the same thing. There has to be a voice on every level. There has to be people of kingdom in government because we are the government. Anytime when you think about God's covenant, God's covenant to his people was a treaty. OK, when we mm-hmm. deal with covenant treaty those are not religious words 
Those mm-hmm. are government terms, okay? Mm-hmm. When we deal mm-hmm. with kingship, when we deal with thrones, when we deal with rulers, when we deal with subjects, that is all government, okay? You take mm-hmm. Cyrus, okay? King Cyrus was not a godly man. Mm-mm. He was not, but Mm-mm. he was referred to as what? God's anointed. Yes. But he wasn't mm-hmm. godly. Yes. You and Kevin, and Kevin, what you have just said and what you have just, you know, like underscore right here is the role of an honest broker. Yes. These three uh, gentlemen that you're talking about, these gentlemen from Tennessee. The two gentlemen and the lady. Yeah, yes. from Tennessee. Yes. So they were honest brokers. They did not take they did not take a partisan stand. And that's the problem we are having when just because somebody belongs to uh, the side of the divide that you think you care about or you're concerned about, anything they do, no matter how wrong, no matter how evil it is, you try to you try to work it out. You try to sanitize yes. it. Yes. And everybody else can call you out and tell you, you know, like, look, you, you just need to stop it. Wrong is wrong. The reason as to why we can listen to these two gentlemen yes. is because they were not taking a democratic stand. They were no. not taking a Republican stand. No. They were yeah. taking the right stand. Right stand. That's exactly what is missing. Yes. And what you're talking, Moses, I think the question Moses is asking. Yeah. Yes. So, if we, you know, if you, for, for example, there are some names I can call right now. Mm-hmm. See, they, they have been very prominent Christians and I have respected them, them, them in the past. But in the last five years, they have taken some very partisan, very partisan positions uh, to the point that they have lost credibility with the non-believing people. Like when they speak, they are always associated with a man. They are not associated with Jesus and the gospel of Jesus and what Jesus stands for, they are associated with, say, the cruel um, behavior or character of policy of someone yeah. else. Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. they cannot lift as something that somebody else has done and say, we are doing this because we are doing this in the name of Christ. You see how clear the clarity that is with the message of these two gentlemen? Absolutely. Because their position or their stand is not based on anyone else's thinking, but it is based on what is right, taken directly and explicitly uh, from God's manual, you know, the the Holy Scriptures. And that's why it has legs to stand on. That's right. No matter how you might try to challenge or poke holes, it can be able to stand on its own. That's true. So there are some positions that have been taken by church people Mm -hmm. that, you know, even if it was not even um, on an uh, ethical grounds that are non-biblical or non-scriptural or whatever, they don't have any legs to stand on. And that's the problem we are having. And I think that's, that's one of the questions that Moses yep. was asking here. No, no, so no. In, indeed. You ask the question, what are we to do? We cannot yeah. sugarcoat. If somebody is wrong, it doesn't matter whether they are a bishop. It doesn't matter whether whoever they are. If they are wrong and someone else is calling them out of them being wrong, I mean, you cannot just try to kind of find a way of trying to cover that person. If somebody is a Christian and is caught as a thief, 
shoplifting or doing something, you know, you don't start saying, oh, he's a Christian. Oh, he's, no, no. You say, oh, now uh, he's stealing. And he should be able to stop. He should be able to stop that. Yeah. The same thing with those who are taking partisan stands. You can now be able yeah. to tell a law that is not a Christian position. That is a personal position, That's and right. you can be, and you can be able to challenge that. Yeah, and you can be able to say it is wrong. Uh-huh. No, but this is this is a problem, Ken. This is a problem. Uh-huh. The credibility of the church itself. Forget that one individual. The bishops and the pastors are the ones who represent the church. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And, and and therein lies the problem. Is is not all the saints. Mm-hmm. You can have a lot of people in the church who may not completely agree with with the affiliations that the that that the, the leadership has taken uh-huh. by an affiliation with with a specific politician or with a specific party. Mm-hmm. But the impact outside of the church mm-hmm. is significant. When friends of mine that might not share the same belief, when they are questioning the church, wondering they are not questioning me in the pews you know, or, or, or the leaders, they're now questioning the entire church, wondering mm-hmm. if there's something wrong uh, with the body of Christ in general. Because when they're questioning, then how can we ever get a chance uh, to evangelize to this people? Know, that's what I say. Know, lose credibility. When, it gets, when it gets to that point, Moses, if you call out somebody for being wrong, I think now we also have to start trying to pray God. If I call you for being wrong, if you call me for being wrong, once you stand with the truth, you know, you stand with the truth and let God deal with the consequences. I think God is going to take care of what is going to going to take care. So God is going to take care of God's business. That's what I would say. That's what I would stand for. When I call out somebody for doing wrong, I shouldn't worry about the consequences because God is going to take care of that. So... Let me not try to cover. Let me not try to sugarcoat. Let me not try to hide. If somebody calls out uh, my bishop or my pastor or my church leader and they say they are wrong, and I agree with them being called out of the wrong, of course I'm not going to be uh, participation. I'm not inviting a participation into discussing the conduct of the person. We are just yeah. going to call out something and it is wrong. And then I just have to trust God to take care of that, you know, because if I try to sugarcoat or I try to camouflage, you know, when you, people will know that you are praying with their minds and you're also going to lose credibility and you will not even be able to share uh, the gospel that you want to share. They will say he's a bird of the same feather. You're flocking together. So you're only going to be engaging in sanctimonious hypocrisy if they see you trying to, Hi, if I'm caught doing something that is inappropriate, Moses, I'm your friend. If I'm caught doing something inappropriate, Kevin, you have gotten to know me now. Yes. Don't try to cover for me. It is good to say, look, we are going to have a conversation with Ken because that is not right. And of course, you can always try to walk away from discussing further issues about me. But at least once you have put that demarcation once you have put that line of vision there, then it becomes easier for you to have a conversation with whoever you're having a conversation with. But when you start yeah. saying, oh, you know, you know, Ken is just being human, you know, this is this is the nature of the world. And then, you know, so somebody else will say, oh, so even for you, Moses, is only I have never caught you doing that. You are doing the same thing, Kevin. Okay. So that is how you people are, huh? Okay, that's yeah. why you are covering for him. That's why you're looking. You know, 
So it's a very good thing for us to be able to be very clear that even one is caught in the wrong, even but, one is losing their street credit. Huh? Yeah, but who will call out? Mm-hmm. I mean, let's look at what's happening in the U.S. today. Mm-hmm. Nobody's calling out. Oh, uh, they are. There are many who are calling out. Even in Kenya, there are many who are calling out. There are many who are adding their voice. We are here saying it, Moses. I have had so many. I have had so many back and forth with people in yeah. my own church, myself. You mm-hmm. know, because I cannot just be speaking under the water. I, I want to remain in good terms with them. I'm complaining yeah. out here, but when I meet them face to face. I don't confront them in a brotherly love. I'm not, then I'm not genuine. I'm not a, you know, I, I, I'm not a brother in Christ. I'm not yeah. a brother in Christ. The same thing with this. But I guess, I guess these voices, uh, and of course they're there. There's a lot of grumbling, but I guess these voices yet are not as loud. Uh, yes. You know, mm-hmm. at least out there in the public square, they're not as loud as, as those that have been. Yeah, uh, not as I agree. I think I think um, Moses, what what we're not seeing, like we we're we're saying it right here on this program. We're saying it. We're crying loud and yeah. sparing not. We we see the hypocrisy. We see the silent church. We and we talk about it. And generally, when I'm yeah. speaking to people, I'm speaking about it. But it's those yeah. who have the big platforms, exactly, that are not speaking out. Yes, it's, it's those who we call generals in the kingdom or in mm-hmm. the church that are not mm-hmm. speaking out. And because mm-hmm. those people have so many followers and we don't hear anything from them, it makes the entire church look bad. It makes it look like we all are in agreement with whatever they're not saying or are saying, and there's no voice to come behind it. So I think God, but I see God shaking things up. I'm, I'm going I'm to mention this. You and I, Moses, yesterday, we were talking about Lovey Elias. You remember that? Yeah. Conversation. Yes, and mm-hmm. I was listening to a, a sit-down discussion that Bishop Noel Jones, Lovey Elias, mm-hmm. and Lovey Elias, who he calls his father, were having a discussion. And Bishop mm-hmm. Noel Jones asked them all, and there was a young lady on, that, on, the, on the platform as well. I don't recall her name, but she was very relevant. And uh-huh. Bishop Noel Jones asked the question. He said, why, how is it and why is it that so many people are following you guys the way that they are? Why are so many people just, you know, they just like, he was, he even spoke, there was a person in his ministry that came to him and wanted to leave his ministry and go partner up with Lovey Elias. And he Mm -hmm. was speaking about that right there on the program. And so he was curious as to what is it that, what's the drawing card? What is it that makes these folks want or gravitate towards you? And the young lady spoke up and she said, you know, she said, I'm just going to tell you. She says, "Um, your generation, she was talking about Bishop Noel Jones' generation, (laughs) right? Our generation, because we're all somewhere near there. Mm -hmm. Yep. She said, your generation, what they do is they only pray and talk about God. She says, our generation wants to see things happen. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. She says, mm-hmm. so when we're sitting in your ministry, we're not really identifying. You're preaching the truth and you're preaching gospel and it's on point. 
but we're not identifying with you because after you get finished preaching, there's no manifestation of anything. You mm-hmm. follow me? So mm-hmm. when they see not just preaching, but they see the power in demonstration yes. after mm-hmm. the preaching, that's what they're looking for. They're mm-hmm. looking for action. They're looking for somebody to get to mobilize and to do something about the current situation that is going on in the world and that we're talking about. But nobody mm-hmm. in our generation is doing nothing. So mm-hmm. there's a Justin Pearson and a Justin Jones and a Gloria Johnson, young people. You following me? Who are taking mm-hmm. the bull by the horns and saying enough is enough. Oh, this talking, yes. Yeah, so we're mm-hmm. tired of this injustice. We're we're not gonna stand for it. You're not gonna come in here and just destroy this democracy with your lies and your deception. And you're not gonna get up there and talk about God on the floor when you stand use God and to stand behind your racist views, so forth and so on. This is what yeah. these guys are saying right now in real time on the floor. Yeah. Where is our generation? Now, if you notice in that environment, there were older men, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, men yes. Look yeah. just like them, right? Mm-hmm. Sitting mm-hmm. back silent, saying nothing. Absolutely Mm-mm. nothing, because mm-hmm. they accepted the status quo. They just happened to yes. be sitting in the seat. Exactly they just right. happened to be there, at, yes. at the seat at the table. They ain't trying to shake nothing up. They ain't trying to rock the boat. They ain't trying mm-hmm. to talk truth and justice and righteousness. They're not um, interested in that. They just want to be who they are, carry their title, go to the parties, the meetings, and be a representative so when they go out in public, they can look important. That's why. That's why nobody's doing nothing because they don't want to rock the boat. They want they they don't want to they don't want their money to stop flowing in. They don't want their constituency to to turn their back on them. So they have become you following me? They just docile. They're just sitting there. They're lame ducks. You know what I mean? Instead of getting up and speaking the truth of God in love, instead of being the 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 the, the Justin uh, Pearson, the Justin Jones, and the Gloria Johnsons of the world, the church is silent, sitting back and some talking about. I'm just praying about it. I'm just trusting God. God, God guess what? Oh my God! Here, here, here. Listen to this. Listen to this. <laughs> Listen to this. Moses was a deliverer, was he not? Oh, indeed, he was. Took Moses to bring a people out of bondage, out of Egypt, right? Now, these people who are coming out of bondage, they look at Moses and they say, Moses, why did you bring us out here? You following Mm -hmm. me? It would have been better if we would have died in Egypt. You following Mm -hmm. me? At least we had flesh pots of food we could eat. At least there were graves we could have been buried in. But you brought us out here to the wilderness that we would die in the wilderness. What did Moses do? The Bible says of Moses that Moses began to cry out to God. God said, Mm -hmm. shut up, Moses. Shut your mouth. get, Get up from there. There's a time when you stop praying and doing do something. He said, put the rod in your hand, raise it up, point it over the waters, and split the seas so they can walk ar- across on dry ground. Mm-hmm. There comes a time in our walk with God that we got to do something besides pray. Oh, yeah. Besides I- reading the word and preaching a pretty message. There comes a time where we have to make a bold stand like Dr. King 
Mm-hmm. Dr. Mm-hmm. King was the greatest example to me of kingdom, of what Jesus was talking about in his word. That man affected an entire nation. The entire world, not just the world. world. Mm-hmm. His message. Mm-hmm. And he stood to the point of death. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not willing to do that. No, 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 we're man. Not willing to die for what we believe. You you bring a good point, actually. Um, because that message from the the lady saying that our generation, you know, uh, they are not, they have no action. Mm-mm. Then what that does, it creates a situation where young people could easily be influenced with the wrong message as well. All because the, the message comes with action, mm-hmm. right? That's right. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a scary proposition. And this is like maybe why uh, we are in the situation we are in, where we, we've seen gr- what we consider to be great men of God aligning themselves with only one political party. And because they've already aligned themselves, there is no action that can come out of it in terms of a questioning or you know, standing for truth, as what Ken was saying earlier. You see? And so, so the young people are seeing this and they're disillusioned, and they're like, "What's going on?" And they, and then the, these young preachers come, some who have very questionable theology, mm-hmm. and are able to capture this, this 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 young generation and 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 confuse them even further, you know. And so I I can I mean I really appreciate that point because then you, it just tells you how important uh, this church and politics dynamics is you know, in, in advancing the gospel and how it can be misused with good intentions, but it can be totally, totally Kevin, Kevin was on fire and I think he broke it down pretty good. He yeah. brought it down to our streets. And that means, you know, this is a, something that you keep on having to revisit every now and yeah. then. Um, it is our lives. This is what we, this is who we are. This is what we live. And we yeah. have to keep on um we have to keep on uh, going back, going back and forth, going back and forth. Anyway, so to finish up, I think I think the main takeaway for me was context. Context mm-hmm. matters, especially when it comes to you know relationships and different types of collaborations and associations. Mm-hmm. Partly because we cannot have rules on everything in that uh, in our lives, we can never have enough rules to govern us. Mm-hmm. You know, the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit, as Kevin was saying. We should rely on the Holy Spirit to know what kind of relationships we, we can get into, but also look at the context, right? Uh, everything might not be wrong. Most things in secular world might be morally neutral, but the context matters. Even if something is morally neutral, the context matters. Well, uh, folks, thanks for joining us today. Uh, this has been our episode of Unpack the Dilemma. And we hope to see you next time. God richly bless you. Thank you. Amen.